0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, we explore the craft scene in Columbus with maker Maven Megan Green, who heads up the Midwest Craft Con and Craft and Outlaws. We talk about the many hats that you need to wear, both figuratively and literally, in business. And we discuss the difference between a craft business and a traditional business. Spoiler alert, there is no difference. Uh, Megan and I sat down on the occasion of the upcoming Midwest Craft Con, February 10th through 12th. If you're interested in attending the convention, you can get 20% off the full three day ticket price on their website, MidwestCraftCon.com, with promo code CRAFTCBUS. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Enjoy the interview sitting down here with Megan Green from Midwest Craft Con. She's the executive director of glitter for Midwest Craft Con. Also the event organizer for Craft and Outlaws and the proprietor of Stinky Bomb Soap. Megan, how are you?
1: I'm great. How are you?
0: Good. Thank you so much for coming in. First of all, give us the elevator pitch on Midwest CraftCon.
1: We are a three-day creative retreat for mid-level creative entrepreneurs. We get everybody together for a great big giant slumber party uh, currently at the Hyatt downtown in Columbus. And we provide them with inspirational keynotes, sessions, uh, fun hands-on craftivities that happen throughout the course of the weekend. And that's the simplest elevator speech I could give. It could go on for
0: days. No, that's perfect. So, what uh, is this the first year of it? This is
1: our second year. Okay. And originally it was started in 2011. Um, Oliveira Braddich of Holy Craft created the first one. It was Midwest Craft Caucus. Okay. And she did a phenomenal job and it lived in infamy. And it was one of those things where people were on social media, like, when's this going to happen again? And she rocked it. Like, she did an amazing job. It was held over at ECDI. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she runs a Craft Mecca down in Clintonville. And she has bigger and better goals for herself. And she was just like, I'm kind of done with this. Um, I'll just leave it here in this tangent world. And if anybody wants to take it on, um, here it lies. And I slowly kind of brought it back to life, and then got two amazing business partners, and we revived it and, and re- rebranded it and renamed it, and now it's a nonprofit.
0: Your co-organizers also run craft fairs. They
1: do. They're kind of like uh, their craft novels um, equivalencies in uh, in their own cities, and they do their own thing. And um, and uh, we've all kind of known each other online. Britt was actually my my partner in Akron was the only one I'd never met. She actually we did our first in person retreat. We had kind of started this through emails. Uh, her non nonprofit uh crafty mart in akron had just received that status and she wanted to get into doing some kind of like trade show or like hands-on sessions for makers and i had already kind of mentioned uh to grace at some point uh my partner in uh in Cincinnati that, uh, I kind of wanted to revive CraftCon or craft caucus at that point. Um, mm-hmm. Oliveira gave me her blessing. So Grace gave me the introduction email and we just started, Britt and I just started chatting and Grace was like, well, I went in on this thing too. So we decided we were going to go to a conference in Palm Springs. Okay. So we all met for the first time, um, and actually started brainstorming together, uh, in California and, uh,
0: Did you go to Palm Springs with the idea of we need to see what another conference looks like? Yeah, this was, uh,
1: it was um, XOXO. It's kind of like a, it's just like a very yes by yes, I believe is what it was called. Sorry, not XOXO, yes by yes. So it's kind of like a very unconference. So you literally are in a pool all weekend with cocktails and there's no specific session in mind. Like there's no keynote. There's uh, anybody could bring to the environment what they want and they basically release an app like 48 hours before the conference actually happens and it's one of the one of the longtime attendees created the app for them okay and you literally just get on and say hey i want to talk about you know wearing different hats uh, in my creative small business life, and you're literally in a pool wearing crazy hats with cocktail in hand. Oh, or I'm
0: sorry, you're not talking about accountant, lawyer. No, 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 no. It's you're it's very much hats. like a yes, yeah. You're okay. you're actually
1: wearing different hats, and and you, every five minutes, like you kind of like switch hats, and uh, it's all a you know a, a representation of who we are as creatives and the different roles that we take on, and how you know as a small business owner you are wearing so many different hats on top of you know being a parent or
0: whatever so i guess i could have gotten there in terms of figuring out that there were unconferences because there are un everything else yes. but yeah. it, do you have to pay in addition to like staying at the hotel? Do you yes. have to pay yeah, there's, for there's the a, unconference?
1: Yes, you do. You have to pay for the unconference, you have to pay for your hotel room, pay for your flight out there. Uh, and, and as a and a, you
0: get an unbadge you, uh, there's d- no
1: there's no name tags. Uh, okay. there for the most part, like your phone stays in the room because you're in a hotel you're in a pool. Right. Um so uh uh and as a Midwesterner, it was hard to wrap my head around this philosophy of yeah. there's no schedule. I don't know anybody here. And I've, you know, uh, Brit, when she picked me up at the airport, it was like 11 o'clock at night when my flight rolled in and she was like, Oh, I'm in like a gray rental car. I was like, I was just like randomly going up to cars. Like, are you Brit from Akron? (laughs) So, um, uh, but Grace had gone to this uh, conference several times and she had actually spent her summer abroad in uh, Germany. So she flew back in to experience this conference. She was already going. Uh, Britt happened to be in a wedding uh, and then they were like, you should come. And I was like,
0: ah. Oh. So once you sort of settle in, yeah. would you say that this conference is based off of that conference? Some of the
1: ideas are based off of that. Again, okay. going back to that, like I had, I was uncomfortable.
0: Your your conference, the, Mi- the Midwest Craft Con, is a formal conference conference correct
1: we have specific keynotes that are gonna give you a a wonderful inspirational uh, okay uh, warm fuzzy feeling inside uh, focused around handmade and creative entrepreneurs we have um, you know marketing we have you know bookkeeping like all the traditional components of a traditional conference are all gonna be there but we also have lots of um, like free time it's all about what some of our attendees want so when we had our first event in 2016 somebody organized a trade swap so anybody could just meet up we basically gave them the room we gave them the time mm-hmm. and um they were able to coordinate you know these are the parameters of the trade like this is the price point so somebody organized that another group from um pittsburgh they're the organizers of handmade arcade okay just like a, an outlaws version of, of their show in pittsburgh organized googly eye university which was a program where you could literally sit down with old vintage magazines and put googly eyes on things and draw and it was it sounds like the most basic concept with a fancy title, right. um, but it's like the most simple mundane craft, but it was like a, the hit of the party. Like everybody loved it.
0: Well, because you end up with a unique thing that you've never seen before, Correct. but it's a simple thing. Yes. But yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and then uh, uh, somebody coordinated a, um, you know, retailers um, that had brick and mortar shops, like they got together and they were like, let's talk about like POS systems. Okay. So it was all about like you've got all those people there, like, what can you as like, what do you want to experience while you're here that we aren't like, that's not sanctioned by us. Um, and we just give them the time and the space and the parameters and that the no glitter. So rule. it's a lot
0: like I've been to South by Southwest. And it's a lot like South by Southwest in that you're so, you sort of there, it's democratized to the point that like some people's talks aren't going to happen. But People submit and say, "I want to do this," yes. and you say, yeah, that's "Yes, that's fine." Much yep. like, actually, a more local comparison is Independence Day. Yes, somebody comes at the appropriate time and says. I want to do X, Y, Z thing. Yes. And they say, okay, what do you need? Yes. Like, what do you need yep. to make it happen? Very, very similar. We'll facilitate it, but you got to do it.
1: Yes. Yeah. Right. And we're not putting the, like, we're not asking people like, like with an independent state, No, we're not asking people to like create the the atmosphere and the environment. Like mm-hmm. it's literally just like the little tiny things. Like how can you create the community that you want at these environments, whether you are a jewelry vendor or, or a jewelry maker mm-hmm. and you want to meet other jewelry makers, um, it's specific to beading or specific to metal smithing. Like you can just say like, Hey, like metal smithers, I want to meet somewhere randomly (laughs) within the conference and we can get together and we can totally talk shop. Um, or, you know, I want to get together with some googly eyes and some felt and I want to make something really cool. I'll be at this table. Um, and then we also do fun things like, um, we have karaoke. We did a uh, crafty spelling bee last year. Um, so again, there's a few things that we do, we do plan for, but uh, we really want to encourage people to think outside the box and and make it their own event
0: and the the conference is a is a nonprofit.
1: we are we just um started uh, our non-profit or we were approved with our nonprofit status in uh the summer of 2016 so oh, that when was we, fast yeah when we first started we used uh the crafty mart nonprofit. they were our fiscal sponsor okay so um We were able to open up a lot of doors um, through that, and then we realized, like, oh, we should probably be our own legit thing. And so uh, it took a while. Um, Actually, when we met in California for the Yes Buy convention, it was when we were actually all together. So we all signed the paperwork there, and then we mailed it when we got home.
0: Because that does, that is a process that takes sometimes a year, sometimes a year and a half. It does. It
1: got expedited very quickly. Um, okay. uh, Britt, having already been experienced in the nonprofit world, um, knew some tricks, so it didn't take very long. And, so, and she
0: was able to do some copy and pasting, I imagine, to sort of get it, so, get yeah, it done. I imagine so, yeah. Yeah, And done. And again,
1: since we had already kind of been established, we already had a lot of our missions. and Okay. Um, yeah, but it's definitely, it's been very helpful in allowing us to create kind of a ripple effect for not only our attendees, but the kind of the handmade community at large within the Midwest area.
0: How many attendees do you guys have?
1: We had 180 for the first one. Wow. Um, so okay. And that included our speakers. That included, you know, uh, I was going to say the three of us. And then I remember that Brit had uh, found out she, after she got back from California that she was expecting. So she actually had a due date I think the week after the event. Okay. And she went ahead and... um,
0: She said, "Mm, I'm going to miss this one, you guys. Well, she
1: wound up having the baby early. Okay. So she was like, I could go. And we're like, stay home with your baby. Like, you don't have to come. So it was a little bittersweet because, you know, she had spent, you know, a year of her time devoting towards this uh, experience. And she got to experience it virtually. Uh, And we have a private Facebook page for all of our attendees. So in that, like, while we don't have an app feature, um, it's literally like you just go on Facebook and you say hey I want to do this and you know meet me at the food court and we'll talk about whatever that topic might be Um, so she kind of got to experience virtually uh, and we also created a little um, foam core cutout and uh, we had a hashtag feel the Brit so we got to like just include her in little odds and ed experiences that she got to live through the hashtag
0: so this year you'll be making crafting great again or
1: we will definitely be doing that yeah and and with with Brit uh, by our side yeah good
0: Good. Talk a little bit about, Megan, how did you get into crafting?
1: My background has always been, uh, I've loved diving into things and having like a DIY experience. Okay. So, uh, and I remember with my parents, um, there was like a little storefront. I grew up in Lima, Ohio. There's a little storefront. And my dad and I were always just like, oh, we'll turn that into a flower shop and he'll do this and I'll do this. And so I always remember this having- Just as like a dream? Just sort of, like, yeah, like okay. a little silly dad, daughter pipe dream. Right. So I've always had like this like little entrepreneurial spirit and I've always taught myself how to like dabble in soaps and dry flowers and um, make candles. So I've always just had this like knowledge to want to learn how, to, you know, how to make things happen. It's always been a very creative um, experience for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started just making things and slowly like, you know, learned about things like Etsy. And there used to be something called the switchboards, which was like a handmade forum for people to like talk about their th- you know, crafty little um, endeavors. Okay. Um, and then slowly, somehow, um, Stinky Bomb came to be, and that was kind of my my big introduction into the handmade world. I had. Can run... I ask
0: what you were doing professionally before that? Uh, nothing. I was okay. working
1: at a picture framing shop, and I well, that's took a not couple nothing. of. Well, I was I was I was maintaining bills. Okay. And uh, I had dropped out of community college, and so I was just a dabbler and I like to explore things and okay. um, everything's self-taught so um, and
0: there's a there's a cute story on the Midwest Craft Con site about how your husband does replica hand grenades yes and so you found a, had a mold sitting out you knew how to make soap yeah really like because it actually it is one of those things that when it first came along what seven years ago at this point
1: I think Stinky Bomb has been around for eight or nine years okay so when it first yeah. came
0: ar- around I think I was introduced to it at like a craft fair or something and I was like that's the Best idea for soap I've ever seen. I like because it, it it fits perfectly in your hand. It's a hand grenade. Yes. It's meant to be that. Yeah. It is. Is it only hand grenades? No, we've evolved. So, okay. um
1: But the, the 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 background for Stinky Bomb was uh, yeah. My husband um, works for an industrial design firm in town, and he is uh, one of his many hobbies is he's a World War II reenactor. Okay. So they were out on one of their mock battlefields and I've never been to one of these events so I'm just going to like quotation mark what that means right. and you can fill in your Nobody own Nobody email your or own tweet vision. angry things Um so uh, he was on one of their mock battlefields and they're playing out in the woods and somebody brought for whatever reason like their grandfather's World War 2 dagger and okay. uh, I don't know why they had an actual knife in in fake battle, but they did. And it got lost and everyone stopped what they were doing because it's worth something. Right. Um, So they all stopped. They um, eventually found it. And he's like, you know, I could probably like cast that and make a replica for it.
0: Because that's something else your husband does. Yes. yes. Yeah. So I
1: could could do that for you. And uh, then you don't have to bring that around. When we go out in the woods and and play uh, World War II Army Men, and um, well, there's
0: also a safety issue there too. I think right? so. Yeah. Like I grew up yeah. in the theater, you don't have real knives on you, stage. You you,
1: you you're not. But I don't. I think this was just like a private thing. I don't think it's sanctioned by anything. So okay. I don't even know that they have insurance. It's literally like a bunch <laughs> of Boy Scouts just out in the field camping and and playing war. Right. And I'm sure he's gonna hate me for saying all this, but th- no. that's my that's my con- my synopsis of what he. Does. What is
0: your husband's name? His name's Rob. Shout out to Rob.
1: Thanks, Rob. Um. So he uh he took that. Uh, Uh, concept and uh the other friends on the battlefield you know enjoyed it and so he's created his own like e-commerce site um and he's been doing that for about 10 years and then uh, we had our first child and I was home with her and he was working out of our house at that point and he's very messy so he had one of those molds sitting around and again I've been a dabbler so I knew how to make Soap, you know, like traditional Fight Club soap where you incorporate fats and lies. Right. And then I also knew that there was such a thing as melt and pour soap, which is basically someone's done all of that for you. It's glycerin based. All you have to do is just melt it down in a double broiler and add some fragrance and some scents and you can literally make any type of soap that you want okay. in any shape that you want and knowing that it was a, a, a grenade mold I knew that I couldn't do the traditional lye soap right so I just ran to the craft store grabbed the, the raw materials which in hindsight like they're terrible stuff like the stuff that you can just buy at like a Joann's or a Michael's like it's not good quality stuff there's better raw ingredients out well, there well
0: I was about to ask you is that still how you do it like, it is
1: like the melt and pour process is still what I use but I use a higher grade um, base
0: okay but you're not creating the base I am not creating the base okay I'm
1: adding flavor. I'm adding color. Uh, right. You're paying for the experience and the novelty of the shape and the design. So I, I took one of his molds, and Stinky Bomb was formed. And um, we've gone and we've evolved from there. And literally, whenever I have an idea in my head, I just say, "Hey, you know, it'd be funny, baby head soaps. You know, it'd be funny, own Ohio soap. So it's just slowly evolved. And he makes the molds for me, and then I run everything else. Okay. Uh, and it's really, we don't really have any other. Um, our businesses don't really cross. Anymore, it's just um, when I have an idea and he has time to execute it. Um, other than that, we don't really, yeah. We don't and really
0: so, st- and Stinky Bomb Soap is available. I assume at Holy Craft.
1: It's available at Holy Craft. Uh, I think they were also available at Igloo Letterpress. Okay. And then our online site. It's basically just through Etsy now. Okay. It's kind of become like my passive income. I don't put as much time and energy into it anymore. Um, it still exists online, and I just kind of allow it to to live. And uh, I've got other things that I'm actively trying to pursue so i just kind of let it live and um and
0: when you run out of soap you make some more soap and then, yep
1: yep so it's just a, uh, a a drop ship type of situation you order it i make it it goes out the door
0: okay and i want to get back to etsy in a bit craft and outlaws for those that don't know what is craft and outlaws
1: uh we are an alternative craft fair in our 12th year and we are a marketplace for people like myself people that would make things like stinky bomb soaps or or jewelry, who. Um, Rent a booth from us. We provide the venue. We rent. They rent their booth from us, and then we attract um, shoppers and consumers to come in and buy their items directly from them.
0: Great. Is that held at a static location at this point? For the
1: most part, yeah. We're at Highline Car House uh, for our spring event, and then we're uh, now at the convention center um, for our holiday show. And, Great. Uh, we and this
0: all got started as, if I recall correctly, back at Scully's, right? It, yeah. So okay. the
1: the founder of Craft Not Laws, Liz Racino, was just an artist who uh, was having a hard time finding a proper place to sell her items okay and this was back in 2005 in like time frame history like um etsy had just started mm-hmm. um holy craft had just started and mm-hmm. craft and outlaws had just started and, so and, it
0: is two events a year correct
1: ours is two events a year so, yep spring and and uh the holiday show
0: are there other craft fairs that people can check out
1: oh yeah there's columbus has a wide variety of, of fairs from small pop-ups to other large you know uh Shows on the, on the level of what we do now. Okay. Um, uh, Yeah, there we, I I always say like, any more, like at any given time, any given weekend, you can find a place to shop handmade at a fair in Columbus. Uh, So when we first started, there was nothing like it around. Uh, The closest place you could find it would probably have been in Pittsburgh. Okay. And uh, then they were in LA and and New York. So uh, Liz, um, Needed a place to sell her stuff. She wasn't getting into traditional shows and like church bazaars weren't her scene. So she was like, I'll, I already know about these what events did, happening. What was she, what was her, her she primary She did kind of like rockabilly stuff. Um, okay. So like bowling pins uh, that she would paint uh, with little like rockabilly girls like our craft and outlawers sassy cowgirl mm-hmm. was her design so it was a lot of like that type of an aesthetic so that
0: up next to grandma's quilts didn't, didn't really, really fit yeah okay yeah.
1: so she you know created her own thing and it was held in scully's and she had people lining up out the door to come in and shop and i think it started with maybe 40 vendors mm-hmm. again i was uh, not the first year uh, I think I was finally a vendor. Because again, it was one of those things it was hard to get into. Like, right. uh, it was so small, but the, the there was already a, a client base uh, as an exhibitor. Um, so it was really hard to get into. And eventually one year I got in and slowly she was on her way out she decided she wanted to go to grad school and asked okay. if anybody wanted to step in and I was one of many who stepped up and then it just kind of became I I found you know that no one was really becoming the leader and I was like I ah, you know I just had a kid like I, I could do this I've got some time yeah, I don't so have a full-time job right now yeah, so right. she uh, basically you know very very nicely handed me everything and I've just kind of been learning from there and granted she had some documents that I could you know go off of but right this was, is how
0: we did this in the past
1: yeah but it was all you know like brand new and um uh so I've just been learning and growing and expanding with it and uh it's gotten to the point now where I don't sell my stuff anymore like stinky bomb is not really present at my fair because okay I'm running the event I'm doing other things so um, are
0: you doing fairs still like uh, with I don't stinky do bomb? as many anymore okay um,
1: just because other things have taken place and it gets harder when your kids get older
0: yeah um does it It does, it does.
1: I don't think it ever gets any easier. Um, I think until they're probably on their own and can watch themselves. But, you know, we both have, my husband and I both have very busy schedules and there's always something going on. And to stop everything you're doing so that somebody else can leave for the weekend is is a strain. Yeah. Um, So, uh, uh, and I'm not the, like I have respect for people that bring their kids to our shows because I don't have the tolerance or the patience for it. Like I'm there to work. I don't Oh, you mean crafters bringing their kids. Crafters, yeah. Makers bringing their kids to like, I don't have any, I don't have a problem against it, but my kids aren't chill enough to just sit there behind a table.
0: Yeah. Um, Mine is not either. So, uh, (laughs) I was hoping that maybe you'd say it gets easier.
1: Not for me. Uh, Some people make it work. We we are not those people. So, uh, so I don't do as many fairs anymore. I would love to it. Like, I think the last one I did was in the spring and, uh, I realized how much I missed it. Like there's such a energy Mm because everyone's setting up and then there's so much like talk like, Oh, did you do this? And like, there's. It's like a giant water cooler moment. Right. uh, Especially during the setup. And then when, you know, when there's, if there's a lull, you know, you get some downtime, you get to like network, you get to meet those people, which is what, you know, going back to CraftCon, um that's why it's so great like I get to see those people that I only got to see for like a couple of hours during setup and then they were way in the other room so I didn't get to see them again or I follow them on social media so um, well and
0: like other specific conferences you are not often surrounded by people who are doing exactly what you're doing yeah. and people who understand oh you know I was up until four o'clock in the morning doing this because that's just sort of the nature of it yeah. it's like you start working on it and you got to keep going for eight hours in order to get it all done yes and it doesn't let's go ahead and get into the business end of crafting a little bit I don't imagine a whole lot of the people that are at craft and outlaws are getting a f- full-time compensation for that work
1: uh I would say a small amount of them are okay. I would say maybe 10 15 percent but for the most like like doing it like making right. a living off of it give me
0: um, can, so let's talk about that first of all people in Columbus that are doing that like roughly
1: um I'm t- top of my head I can think of you know Allison Rose okay uh, Nick and Alice in uh, the smithery folks okay. uh, i mean definitely oliveira from holy craft um, uh red giraffe uh, there's a lot of people who um
0: and these are people that, from my familiarity with them, other than the Smithery, like those other people, Allison Rose and Nick and Red Giraffe, they're doing sort of consumer goods, right? They are.
1: And, and it's it's a, an issue of they've, you know, they have their product line and they are supplementing it one way or another. Um, and, and I think that's, a, that's the key if you want to try to make it. Right. I think people, crafters especially, get sold on that like quit your day job right. scenario. And it's really well, hard. Well, because it's, it's to a work
0: from home. You can do it in your, quote unquote, spare time, like if you have kids. And you can just do like, and it's a whole lot cooler than selling Avon.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it's harder because Avon, you know, you, you basically, you're, you're buying a, a raw material probably made, I don't know where they make their stuff, uh, but you're basically reselling it Right. versus not only are you selling this, you're making it, you're producing it, you're marketing it. You're so, pricing uh, it. Yeah. So again, going back to that, you know, like you're going to wear a lot of hats in a pool in California, like you're wearing many, many hats when you're a, um, a, small creative entrepreneur um and i can't uh, get over the hat thing (laughs) Uh, it's a metaphor for life
0: it's Um, a metaphor but it's also literal put on this hat in a pool (laughs) so talk about let's let's circle back a little bit to the midwest craft con you very specifically said this is for mid-level crafters so this is for people who already have sort of chosen what they want to craft yes this is not someone who just says i think i want to craft Correct. because they'll be a little bit out of their league yes there.
1: we're not going to give you the basics of how to start an etsy shop shop we're not okay. going to give you the basics of how to you know create a url like we are we are hoping and assuming especially if you're going to you know if you're going to spend the if you're going to create the expense of joining us for the weekend. Because it's know.
0: 200 bucks plus a hotel. Yep. Yeah. Right.
1: So for the most part, you're you're probably somebody that's that is a mid career maker who's willing to put that into it. OK. Um, so. Uh, but
0: there are talks on legal issues. Correct. There are talks on accounting and taxes. Yes. I imagine there's some talk about like intellectual property oh uh, yeah mm-hmm. okay. uh, we have
1: a, a guy that joined us last year who uh, came in and spoke a lot about you know like intellectual property rights and uh, and contracts you know as people start upping up their 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 handmade game and like starting mm-hmm. contracts with either large corporations or like Target or you know all these or all these company like Craft. yeah yeah like you want to make sure that your you know your your documents are, are where they need to be and that you know what your rights are and and again while they're not giving you specific legal advice because you'd have to hire the lawyer right. to do that but they're giving you Like the the vague overview of, um, or these are the things that you need to know. And even our speakers, um, you know, are sitting in. Like these are the people that are you know teaching. The, right. the people that are attending like they're sitting in on these lessons too because you always need to remember or kind of be reminded um, even if you're doing this as a full-time gig you're, you always need to be reminded of some of those things that you kind of let fall to the side because or haven't
0: had to think about because you didn't have a contract like yes. that for a while
1: yeah right so we're trying to create a very broad range of any and everybody from the the keynote to some of our sponsors that are attending to to the attendees themselves are going to take away f- something from this and some of them are very like business focused and some of them are like you know staying in love with your business you know right. like how do you how do you
0: keep things fresh in your yeah marriage. how do you keep
1: <laughs> like you know spending you know all those late hours at night like crafting your jewelry or making your soap or screen printing and still want to come back to work the next day right or find a way to fit it into your time when you're raising kids or you know doing all the other things that we do um keeping your day job so we have a lot of those like side focused sessions and then we have panels and uh, and other things like that
0: that's great talk about so craft and outlaws has sort of a selection process you have a panel of people that decides who gets into that yeah
1: we're a curated event so people apply we have like you know three months the the applications stay open and then they all get looked at and reviewed and we're looking at everything from you know your photos to your price points to your aesthetic to you know any and everything we can think of. And we're always looking for a wide range of genres. And
0: is there any sort of back and forth with the vendor in terms of like, hey, all your stuff is really great, but it's too expensive? Um or is it really sort of you're taking what the submission is? We're taking
1: what the submission is. So we typically okay. have people like provide us your um, your website, provide us one product or one product photograph, and then a, a general product description mm-hmm. of your brand. And then uh, we always ask for like a marketing statement, like an elevator speech. Like give okay. us a, like if we have, if we're gonna sell you, you sell us yourself. Well, because you, then quickly. you can
0: reuse it and put it up yeah, on your website. It makes my job a little bit easier. <laughs> right.
1: um, but we tend to look at like we I know now like what typically somebody comes to our show, even the spring show versus the holiday show what a consumer is going to spend when they come Mm -hmm. so if your price point is outside of that like i would get worried that you know if you're selling something that's a hundred dollars a pop there's a good chance that you might only sell one or two like do i want to take the risk because you're going to have a bad experience if you only sell two or three right and you're going to hold us outlaws accountable for that so i am that's what part (sighs) of the jury you're going to hold the
0: outlaws accountable (laughs) for it What's sort of unclear to me at this point, Midwest CraftCon is a non Is Craft and Outlaws a we are not. Okay. No. So you are paid by Craft and Outlaws yes. to sort of administer these two yes. events a year. Mm-hmm. Is there a staff? You have an assistant? I have an assistant. Yeah. Okay. Uh,
1: and another one who just went to nursing school. So we kind of lost her, but we gained a lovely person in Mallory, who is a, is a maker, is a sewer. Um, and, Shout out
0: to Mallory. Yeah. Thanks, Mallory. Talk about the difference between organizing a craft fair and a conference. First of all, sort of the similarities to this is where we get into the non- nuts and bolts of like, how do you do what you do? Um, Talk about the, what are the similarities between doing a craft fair and a conference?
1: Okay, I will start with, with like a craft fair. I feel that I have like three people that hold me accountable to do my job well Okay And the first would be The vendors The people that are Applying submitting money Which basically covers That venue fee for the day
0: Because those are your clients Those are my clients Right
1: And then the second Would be my sponsors They're the people Who help offset Some of that additional cost So I can keep Those vendor fees down So I need to keep Them happy And do marketing Not only for those exhibitors For, for those sponsors And then and Who are they,
0: like Your primary sponsors um, For
1: be, Because Craft and Outlaws Is not a nonprofit. Like we are very small Like we are very DIY And a lot of those Have been like The vendors That have gone on To open brick and mortar Shops, okay, um, or just some like general partnerships that we have throughout the community. So you know, Holy Craft, which is, again, why we always get confused for one another because she's been around for as long as we have. Right. So we've been promoting her for as long as we've been promoting ourselves. You know, Nick and Allison and, and Igloo and the Smithery and um it and Haberdashery. Again, these are one-time vendors who have gone on to create brick-and-mortar shops. Mm-hmm. And so that's typically who we try to like bring in. One, it means that they're going to come to our events, and we love them, and they're great. Their their quality of work is great. Right. Um, but then we're also helping to support them throughout the year as well um so but
0: what so just for those that sort of aren't aware what you mean when you say you're not a nonprofit? this is not a write-off for them it's not a donation that it they're is mar- making No, this is right. a marketing
1: expense for them right so we have our exhibitors we have our sponsors and then we have the consumer so those are the people that we are trying to target to come in and spend those money to keep the exhibitors and the sponsors happy mm-hmm. so it's a very you know, it's like a, it's a it's a trifecta and it's my job to make sure that all of them are happy. And again, we are constantly like, what can we do to attract new people? And and at first, when we first started, like at Scully's, like the response was so great. But you couldn't navigate that space if you had right. a stroller, if you you know had a couple kids with you. Like it was impossible. And then as we kept growing, more people wanted to come in. And then the feedback was, you know, I wish we had more room, or like we're tucked in this little corner trying to sell our stuff. Like it's really awkward. I'm feeling really claustrophobic. Right. So then it became, you know, well, how do we make those concerns? Valid, like the shopper has an issue, the uh, the exhibitor has an issue. So like we were then constantly like, what kind of space can we find? And we finally found that at the convention center. But that means you know we've gone from this DIY like small budget venue to this massive venue. You know, thank goodness they're not a union because we wouldn't be able to like touch or do anything. But right. so then we've gone to you know a sixty-five dollar table fee to a two hundred dollar ten by ten booth, and you know that's a big jump. Yeah. Uh, and again. For that curation process again that's why we're, we're selectively trying to find people that you know we want them to make a return on their investment this is the holiday like a, show
0: is the bigger show right yeah, obviously so yeah. w- how many applicants do you on average have a year for that
1: uh, two to three hundred
0: how many booth spaces do you have hundred? Okay.
1: So we we are spending three to five hours looking at people, and I kind of like go through them as they come in, and then we have a little meeting and we discuss, you know, who we like, who we don't like, and we have a, you know, a yes, an alternative, and like a no, like they either, mm-hmm. they either don't fit our aesthetic or um, it's just not.
0: Well, and what I was going to ask about the selection process is, do you sort do you have that committee together? One ease to sort of divide up the load, and also your brain can't think all the time about like, do I have enough jewelry vendors? Do I have enough greeting cards? vendors do I have enough fiber arts vendors yeah. and then also there's also sort of the culpability of it of I, I didn't say no Mm -hmm. this committee said no Uh, there
1: there is a lot of like it yeah it kind of removes the burden off of me specifically but it does help because i feel like the people that are helping with the selection have a different eye than i do like Mm -hmm. i feel like they each have their own strengths more importantly they each have their own preferences like and i've learned again mallory whom i've come to love dearly um has a very different aesthetic than i do like i tend to lean towards things that are a little bit um darker creepier edgier um you're making Soap out of make Set grenade. Yeah, she makes very sweet, delicate, well-crafted bags and purses. Okay. And she has a aesthetic that I, you know, I just, I don't, I don't flock towards. Yeah, but I want those people that have her, preference to also come and have an amazing experience. So I want you to have a very diverse opportunity when you come to Crafts and Outlaws that you're going to see things that you don't see at any of the other fairs. And, and it's a nice thing that what we what we do offer is, you know, we still get a lot of people from all over the Midwest that come and sell specifically at our events, and you can't find them at any of the other local events. So it's one thing that really gives us a, a leg up.
0: Because you are a little bit bigger. Yeah, because we're a little and, bit bigger and in, in our
1: in our aesthetic is a little bit different. You know, we don't have an all Ohio-themed event. Like, I think you'd be hard-pressed to maybe find, like, five Ohio items at a Crafts and Outlaws event. Like, Really? We, yeah, we we just... We're not looking for that. Like, we are looking for... You're bigger for, than that.
0: Uh, yeah. You, we're, are we're just, the, you are the arts festival of craft, of craft, craft fairs.
1: fairs. I am. I am. Well, no, Again, we want the art to stand out. We don't want it to be so, like, trend-focused. We want it to be, like we want your, your quality of work to stand out. And, and that's why people are coming and, and gravitating and buying these items because they're well-made. It's not playing into like a Pinterest mason jar trend. It's, you know, it's just, it's good quality stuff that will stand the test of time and be in your home for a very long
0: time. Right. We should say that you work out of Blockfort. I do. So Craft and Outlaws works out of Blockfort. I do, you yes. start. You started Stinky Bomb Soap when you needed a space. You were at Junction View. Yes. You made the move to Taco Cat. You're still with Adam Burlett at, at Fort. Fort.
1: Yeah, sometimes I still call it Taco Cat or Taco Fort. It's just a
0: right. subliminal thing. Once you're there for a little bit, and once yeah. everybody sort of yeah, is everything done there now?
1: For the most part, our grand opening is going to be announced soon. Okay. Um, so we will have a private opening, and then we're going to have a public opening, and I hope that that's cool. Yeah. So we, uh, you know, I was working out of my house, and I needed a place to not fill up my table because mm-hmm. we, then we've had two kids. So, um, you know, they really need that space to eat. My husband was already at Junction View and uh, a space opened up. So I moved in and I shared a space with Esther, uh, who now operates uh, Yarnet and Habdasher. Yeah. And then... Uh, that got torn down in the name of um,
0: Grandview Yard. Yes. Yeah. Nationwide Realty yes. Investors. And uh,
1: and Progress. then Adam coordinated Block Fort mm-hmm. I'm sorry uh, he coordinated Taco Cat yeah. which was a cooperative so we were all very like invested financially and with our labor like we helped you know put up drywall and, and build the floors and paint everything and that also got torn down in the name of um, Grandview Yard mm-hmm. and now uh, they have created Adam and his wife Megan have created Blockfort which is you know they are running it they are managing it and, mm-hmm. um, and I'm very happy. You're a renter. I, and I'm very very happy with that like I like being able to go in and say hey this problem exists and I don't want to have to help be in charge of fixing it I just want to like pass that information over to you and know that you guys are going to fix it in in, uh, in an appropriate amount of time.
0: And all the name dropping we're doing here you can find links to all these people and places and things and vendors in the show notes for this episode at the confluencecast.com let's talk about getting started as a vendor and sort of what the resources are that are available midwest craft con not necessarily for someone that is just starting out not for someone who let's say the minimum barrier of entry is having a website and having done a craft fair
1: i would think yeah i think that would be a good you, you'd probably want that basis behind you before mm-hmm. you come to the conference
0: okay how would Let's say somebody's making things and they're giving them away to people at the holidays and somebody reached out and said, hey, could you make me some of those things for this baby shower that I'm doing? And so they've got their craft down to a point. Mm -hmm. They may not have even costed it out properly in Mm -hmm. that they don't know how much cost material is going into each individual good, how much waste they have frankly what their cost of goods sold Mm -hmm. is they don't know the phrase cost of goods sold Mm -hmm. what advice do you have for someone like that
1: before you get into like the 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 actual money of it is sitting down and figuring out how you can create what you're doing like if it's a unique scarf it's it's a piece of jewelry that you've made actually sitting down and kind of timing yourself is where i would state that that starts because your biggest your biggest expense is going to be your time. Okay. And whatever you're doing as an entrepreneur, like many things
0: labor is yes. the biggest, right? Yeah.
1: And in this case, you are the labor.
0: Well, not necessarily. And
1: I think for the most part as as crafters, that's how we started out. Like mm-hmm. we are typically like we are making it, we are cr- creating it and producing it, and a big a big internal struggle amongst makers is at what point do you allow that to go off site where you're not in charge of it. So for the right. most part, the people that are coming to our conference or for the most part, the people that are attending one of these craft shows, they are still manufacturing most of the goods. Right. Um, and I feel like it. they get to a point where they realize like, oh, if I'm actually going to do this and, you know, remove that from my hands like that. Then that's the next step. Right. Um, and I feel like not everybody gets there.
0: When well, some people don't want to get there. And yeah, like you yeah. don't want to get there with stinky. I don't know.
1: No, like and I've had some of those like meetings where like, you know, do I like, you know, go overseas and, you know, you know, look really or look into a manufacturing company within the United States. Did you get
0: that far? And some... at one
1: point I was like looking into it, like, how okay. could I have all this stuff made for me so that I can just do the other things that I want to do? And and um and then I just realized, you know, I still really like. I still like that creative process of actually making it like uh, I don't have a lot of Zen moments in my life, but making a bar of soap in the shape of a grenade for whatever reason brings me a little bit of calm.
0: I totally get it. Yes.
1: So, um, so for me, yeah, I never wanted to have that kind of outsourced, even if it's, you know, down the road from me or, you know, in another state or in another country, right. um, but that it, that would be the next step, but not everybody wants to take it to that level. Um, so for the most part, as a, as a maker, you are doing most of that labor and that is your biggest expense so you want to really sit down and figure out how can you fine-tune this process
0: find efficiencies yes right yeah. uh,
1: and then you get into the price point structure you know like are you just buying it from you know if you're making a scarf are you just buying that yarn from joann's or can you actually create an account with you know the, the scheme that you really really like like find that manufacturer and start buying that stuff in bulk and that's going to lower your price points um and the but biggest you've
0: also got a larger investment yeah and so you you kind of got to keep doing it at that yes, point yeah yeah right. so
1: there's a lot of there's a a lot of, I mean, there's so many different levels and it's, and it's the same for any business. But for the most part, the, the one thing that makers have that is different from a lot of business models is for the most part, you are the manufacturer, mm-hmm. unless you decide you're going to get to the point where you're, you're going to send that out to somebody else.
0: How do you find, I guess my question is, how do you find guidance in order to do that?
1: A lot of peer discussions. Okay. Uh, in, in my opinion. And again, that's why something like craft shows are really important. That's why something like, so you know, because you craft can just conference. Approach
0: someone and say, Hey, you kind of do something similar to me. Yeah. Like, how did you?
1: Yeah. And it's a lot easier to have that when there's like a face to face versus just sending a cold email out to somebody and say, Hey, I really like your stuff. Give me all your inside trader information so I don't have to like, because the person all that. is
0: like, Fuck you. I'm not going to exactly. learn. I'm exactly. not going to teach but you. But if right. you
1: create, you know, a nice rapport and you actually create a mutual relationship out of respect, you know, then you can start finding mentors. And I think that's true for any, again, for any type of business. Like, you right. always are trying to find people that you respect who are going to help what you're doing. And it's about befriending that person and, you know, not taking advantage of that relationship. And, but I think you find a mentor, you know, okay. you, you find somebody that you want to reach out to and, and can hopefully, you know, either show you the ropes or help guide you or not just give you all the, the website searches that are going to make your, your life hundred percent easier. But, you know, I mean, part of the investment is as an entrepreneur is you got to kind of earn it sometimes, you know, right. you got to really dig through and spend that time and, and then you'll come out stronger. And then in return, you know, somebody's going to look up to you and you're going to be that person's mentor. And it's a very,
0: I mean, do you think though that, cause you're saying this and and those are all great pieces of advice but is there do you think an opportunity in this market for somebody to set up like one day like here are the things to think about the entry-level conference if you will
1: I think that that could exist. I think that there okay. have been some models like that. They're typically more like smaller.
0: They're seminars. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's
1: like a quick like, hey, let's teach you how to make an Etsy shop. And okay. again, like that exists. Like people need that type of knowledge. Okay. Um, and, you know, people have ebooks. like Are those right.
0: resources somewhere? Like, let me teach you how to make an Etsy shop. Like, let me walk you through uh, I mean,
1: it? I can think locally. Like I know Idea Foundry had one of those classes. Okay. Like Holy Craft uh, had some of those classes back okay. in the day. Um, so that they do certainly exist on a local level and they certainly exist, you know, on a Google search. Right. So they do exist. It's just we're not gonna. That's not we, what we, you ju- what you do.
0: Yeah, yeah. So okay. we are we
1: are focusing towards again like the people like myself with the sneaky bomb. Like if I really wanted to take sneaky bomb to the next level, what kind of tools do I need that other people I know were probably going to need to? And that's the curriculum that we want to provide um, for those, for those makers.
0: What are your thoughts on Etsy? I, how do you feel about Etsy in general?
1: Um, I'm, I'm, I'm like a 50, 50 Etsy person. Okay. Uh, and I actually, um, for the conference, I was kind of going through Etsy for the first time and I realized like, Oh, I haven't actually been on Etsy. Like my shop is open. Like someone in order comes in, you know, my, my page is active and in, mm-hmm. in front of me, but I don't explore Etsy the way that I used to. Okay. Um, but I know there's still lots of people who love and, and support and are, are Etsy fanatics. And I think that's great. Like that marketplace exists for a reason. Right. Um, but for me, it's become, it's always like an incubation tool. Like right. you can use that to test so many different things within your business. Like you can learn those price points really quickly because you're getting a bill from them every month and you're shipping you know stuff out. So you're paying USPS every month. So you really get to get a kind of like an introductory craft course well, of, business um, course almost. Y- yeah, like y- because mean, you're...
0: You're proving it out in that you're proving out those price points, but you're also proving out demand. Yes. Like, do people want this thing that you're making, these mason jars that are filled with succulents? Yes. Like, yes, right now they probably are. Yes. In eight months, they probably will not be.
1: Yes. Yeah. So you get to test out a lot of things and because it's only a 20 cent listing and then you get the the back end off of when you make a sale, it's really affordable because you don't have to pay for, you know, yearly domain listings. You just pay for those fees. Um, So it makes it a really interesting place to test your your handmade marketplace Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's also because it's global um, I mean I feel like Stinky Bomb wouldn't have done anything had Etsy not existed, which is you know why I okay. still won't close my shop. Like especially now, someone who wants to kind of sit back and allow it to just be a passive income. Like the searches and the engines just kind of work for themselves at this point, and I don't have to do a lot. And, and it you allows could me do to focus. more. I and could it, do more, and
0: it would generate yeah, more revenue. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's
1: uh, any type of business is how much time you put into it. Right. So, uh, but it's a great way to test any concept, any idea that you have, and and find your market marketplace, build your email list up, so when you're ready to take the leap you can you know decide if you want to create your own website and then but then you know Etsy again has a global customer base then you have to create your own customer base like at the minute you close your Etsy shop like it's all on you right um so for me like I'll always keep it open because it's just it's 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 a great platform and again I'm still in why in would I for stop making little. money
0: for it from it yes yeah. right
1: um so it's uh, I still think it's really great but and, and again they went from being like they helped make handmade mainstream right so we as makers are in debt to them you so know what's the but, bad thing uh just um i mean they've become like handmade and diy like when it started or when it really kind of re- reformed itself like 15 some years ago mm-hmm. it was very much like a punk movement mm-hmm. so it's now like the punk has gone corporate
0: right um well and someone is making money off of them
1: yes yeah you know they have shareholders now you know their their business model has changed like before it had this like very like artsy environment and like the forums were really active and it kind of felt really supportive supportive supportive. And, and, you know, now they have, you know, more bandwidth and, Mm -hmm. you know, things on the back end that they need to provide. And it's been great in terms of, you know, their their fees have stayed the same from the handmade um, sellers standpoint. But there's all these other bugs and things that are going on. And again, I'm not as active in that Etsy community where I first was when I was doing Stinky Bomb. It is a great resource if you're just starting out. Like that's the biggest thing to do. Like create an Etsy account. And everybody knows that. Like if you're at a craft show and there's a customer walking by, they're like, oh, do you have an Etsy site? Because that's their connection to handmade. But it's like anything, like you've got to work really hard at it and you have to put in the time and energy. And then it's it's one cog in the wheel if you want to try to maintain, you know, a career, if you want to try to turn it into a career or make it a career, right. you know, um, you sometimes have your Etsy site, you sometimes have your own website, you're doing craft shows, you're doing trade shows, you're doing uh, consignment, you're doing wholesale, you're starting to speak or, you know, you're blogging, like there's mm-hmm. so many levels to this. But I'm still, I'm still kind of an Etsy proponent, but again, I'm not on it the way that I probably would or should gotcha. have been a long time ago.
0: Any other virtues or detriments to the Columbus craft scene that people may not know about?
1: I mean, we are a test city, so mm-hmm. I, I love that. Uh, and we are always growing and evolving, and I think the the craft show circuit has shown that as well. Like, I, I still believe that you can throw a dart at any calendar weekend uh, throughout the year, and you will find a place to sell and buy your handmade stuff or buy handmade stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with that growth is uh like any market you know saturation Saturation. uh you know i you can go to a coffee shop and you know pick up some handmade trinkets you can go into a corporate setting and they want to host a pop up like we get a lot of emails like hey like we're trying to do this thing for the first time we'd love to get some some craft vendors so we have kind of become like pieces of flair so you so like you have to test a the a
0: craft fair in like a corporate cafeteria uh-huh. okay yeah
1: uh, and again i understand their are, are ideas for it you know they want to give their their employees something to do during a lunch hour or right. you know, invite their family in but you know you have to have in order for it to be sustainable like you know you have to have good quality vendors and the people that are going to go to events like that or sell at events like that are probably the people that are still the ones just starting to create that Etsy account. Right. Um, so the caliber of artist, um, you might find one or two really good ones. But for the most part, those are the people that are still testing their, like trying to find their marketplace. Right. Um, so with that comes, you know, a lot of saturation. Uh, and it just means, you know, on my end, you know, I have to work harder to continue to allow myself to be uh, or, or outlaws to continue to be a unique experience and find new unique vendors that you can't find anywhere else. So. But are
0: you got from a business sense are you taking advantage of opportunities like that and try like because you only do two events a year? So are you dedicated to only those two events a year or are you doing partnership events?
1: For the most part, that's where we are. I mean, okay. we partnered with Independence Day. Right. Um, so, and it was just like a smaller version of what we do. Mm-hmm. So instead of... Well,
0: but it was still big for it, for what it... Its oh, foot, yeah. It's footprint in Independence Day was quite big.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so uh, we've slowly started to do things like that. Uh, but... At this point, if someone's going to invite us to participate in something, I almost want it to be an experience where it's not people selling things. Okay. I almost want it to be like we partnered with the um, with the museum in 2016 at Columbus Museum of Art, and it was we hosted like a DIY activity, like a competition, so like families okay. could come in and like create something with like I don't know googly eyes and, and old CMA postcards, and like we like had them craft battle one another and so it's more about like that experience of like taking crafts in and like getting hands-on and making something because the more that I can teach the general public the process of how you make something mm-hmm through any type of DIY workshop or experience, you get a better appreciation of, oh, that was really hard to make. And what I made had googly eyes and felt on it. And this item costs $50. I have like a small idea of like somebody actually put time and thought into it. And it didn't look like a train wreck. Like it's well-made. They might've gone to CCAD. Like that is worth something. And it helps, you know, on, on our end, it helps, you know, them buy things and have a better appreciation of the people that are at our events. So I would rather start getting into that um, that experience of like DIY and like really encouraging, you know, either hosting workshops or, you know, encouraging and supporting the people that are already doing that because I want the consumer to have a better idea of there's a serious thought process that goes behind a well-crafted, well-made object. And I want them to know that, yes, you could go to any department store and buy it for a fraction of the price, But you could also go to a local independent craft show or retailer and know that there's a story and there's a person behind it. Right. Um, So that's more of like where I want to see outlaws go.
0: Great. You can get more information links to Midwest Craft Con, Craft and Outlaws and Stinky Bomb Soap in the show notes at theconfluencecast.com. Megan, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite crafter. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info@theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a good week.